things. So I, I would say the two combinations I would like to do with partnerships and hopefully refi. Um, that's one of the reasons I like commercial better than uh, uh, residential mm -hmm. is residential is only worth what the neighborhood will carry. Uh, whereas commercial, it's basically like buying an individual business mm -hmm. and it's how much net operating income you can generate all from that business, you know, off that building. But Welcome to RIA Radio, episode 54 with Ryan Miller. You're listening to RIA Radio, the nationally trusted name in real estate investing. We dig deep to discover investors' why in real estate. If you want to skip all the BS and get in investors' heads, you're in the right spot. Be one of the thousands to check out RioRadio.com. It is so amazing to be at the table with my good buddy, Owen Dashler, right now. I love you, man. High five, man. How All you kinds of loves going around we, the table that's here. All we do is love. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. I'm good, man. How are you? What's, what's new this week? Uh, so we had our uh, we had our Ria luncheon, and we had to switch locations. The luncheon went off like our second best crowd we've ever had. That was a cool spot. You came down the rail car. Yeah, yeah. Filled up all the spots. Yeah, it was standing room only. And actually, the guy that's on our podcast today was at the was at our luncheon too. So Ryan was. Miller was on. Ryan Miller was there. I mean, okay. So I've known Ryan Miller for a little over a year now. Um, I knew that he was doing some stuff. I didn't know that he was a military man, which is a, a running trend in our podcast. Um, I didn't know that he did. We'll just let's leave some mystery for people. I didn't know he was doing these small multifamilies as quick as he was. Yeah, um, I learned a lot. But I mean, uh, and you could tell in his podcast too. He was he, just so you guys know he's a little nervous on the start, and so the first twenty thirty minutes he just, it goes a little bit slower. But he really starts getting into a spot. He said he was so nervous on the way here he felt like he was going to puke in a car. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. Which is. Okay, this just highlights how crazy it is to actually be in front of the public, whether it's public speaking or you're public speaking into a microphone and like you don't have a public surrounding you. But it's not for everyone. That's we, for sure. We, we, we tell people, there's more than half the people who come on this podcast are like, I am so nervous. I don't know what to do. I'm like, dude, we are seriously just guys sitting at a table having a good time. Here's have and an old have an old fashioned have one old fashioned and then they're better no more than one though <laughs> right that's <laughs> yeah that's the sweet spot yeah we don't we don't want to we don't want people getting slushy here so you know we have we have these good conversations and and don't worry about the stress but Ryan Miller totally opened up and I could just tell that he flowed in here so I think that you're gonna really enjoy the story and I learned a lot about him I did too yeah it was uh, so ex military he had a whole family full of uh, military. Uh, folks, like three generations, I believe he did. Yeah. yeah, and so it was kind of a rite of passage. So he went into the Air Force and jumped right into multifamily, and like right off the bat. And every time I talk to a new person, I'm like, "There's a couple things you should do. Um, you should start reading uh, the books." I and generally, like, I just sat down with somebody yesterday, and I said, "Read the Burr book." And yet, this this kid had no idea in real estate investing, and I was really impressed um, when we when we met because uh, his name is Max. He literally had a por uh, a padfolio, and he was taking notes on our podcasts. 
Oh, he had like a like a briefcase with a pad folio. No briefcase, in it. just a little oh. pad folio, right? And he wrote notes on a podcast. It wasn't it, like Nate. It is briefcase of ten thousand dollar bills. Yeah. So one thing that was really cool about Max is he literally was listening to a podcast and taking notes. I'm like, man, that's exactly what you need to do. I go, by the way, read the Burr book because it, it for by ba- David Green by David right? Green. Yep. Because yep. that's just I, everybody talks about the Burwell Bible and all this other stuff, but the David Green's Burr book is really just like the basics to get started. And I and it's my number one uh, referred out book actually right now. Oh wow! Uh, okay, because I think it gives you the fundamentals just to get to do it today. Mm-hmm. And so I I, I referred that to him. I told him listen to bigger pockets podcast. He's already listening to our podcast. So I mean that's a win. And so that was just really good information. And Ryan Miller, you know, he jumped right in and he started going to the meetups. And that's where he got his content. And he li- and he t- he literally took great notes on going to the events and taking that content and actually building from it. He applied what he learned. Yes. And he did that in a very, very short amount of time. And so, and what I love about this, what I love about Ryan is he is around 40 years old and he just recently started going to meetups and he parlayed that into buying a whole bunch of stuff. He actually jumped right into multifamily, which not a lot of people do. And he bought a, I think a six unit deal, which was a fourplex and like a, a duplex. Two, wasn't it a two six unit, six unit and something else? It was a, it was a, a duplex and a fourplex. And then he went on to other deals that were also small multifamily. So like it was, Amazing story. Uh, he's uh, he's a cool dude, ex-military guy, like we mentioned, and uh, has three small kids at home. Has really blown up in the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, good, good podcast. Uh, also, uh, speaking of, I talked about a couple of my meetings. Have you had any good meetings this week? We don't want to give too much information on on today's event. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So, yeah, this this last week, so I've met with some really wide-ranging, interesting people. I met with a, one of my old neighbors. His name is Tu Win. Actually, his name's Tu Win. That's true. <laughs> and uh, so he owned uh, Five Guys. So Five Guys is a franchise uh, burger place, right? He owned five of those. He owned a couple of restaurants called uh, Saigon Surface. Oh, yeah, it's he, a good place. Yeah, Saigon Bowl. Really, really cool dude. Like we hung. Like he's about my age. We used to hang out all the time. He moved to West Omaha and uh, your hood now. He's out of the out of the Carter Lake hood. Ted, distracted by your watch. No, I I, I love the Carter Lake hood. <laughs> <laughs> so. Anyway, we had lunch, and he is doing some super cool stuff. He is talking about starting a business that involves, basically, he bought, I think, six or seven single-family rentals, and he is talking about selling fractional shares of those. Okay? So wrap your mind around this. So he owns them free and clear. He's talking about fractionalizing shares of those uh, properties, and then basically recouping his money that he put into them and then rinsing and repeating while taking a fee for basically organizing it. It's kind of almost like a crowdfunding uh, type of a situation. What Gosh, do you think about that? I, I really want to see the business model on that one just so I can wrap my head around it. It is – he is so smart. He's such a freaking smart guy. I love hanging out with him. So you can do that with your properties? Uh, probably not. No. Okay, okay. No. But I will root him on uh, from the sidelines. And he's also opening. So there's a place in Midtown Omaha called Scissors and Scotch. Oh yeah, you ever heard of it? Oh yeah, I've been to one. So they do haircuts and like it's fancy place, right? Yeah, so my it's wife like, got me a couple of gifts for me there, and I 
Yeah, it's like okay, so not to they're I've been there one time and they you know it's basically like a fifty dollar haircut and but it's super cool because it's just nice vibe. Get it's your, a, get your old fashioned. Yeah, it's like a, a spa for dudes, like it, whiskey and haircuts and a shave. Right, that's what it's all about. I mean, theoretically, we created that right here on this podcast. We did, except for the shave and the haircut. I know, but it's just a whole new element. That's true. <laughs> that's true. So anyway, I'm excited for him, man. Like he's going to start this franchise in uh, Seattle. He's going to open some stores in Seattle of, of uh, scissors and scotch, and he's going to start this real estate business. We were talking about our Branson deal that we have, the hotel conversion to apartments. And, uh, like that was, I was, it was one of those meetings where it went like two hours and I left and I was pumped. You know what I mean? You ever meet with people? You're excited. And you got yeah, something new like, and you want to, you want to grow. And yeah, yeah. Like I, I left that meeting and I was like, I want to run through a freaking wall. Like uh, he is, he was, it was just inspiring and he's just a good dude. I yeah. Like that. I like that. Yeah. Did you meet with anybody cool? Well, I had that meeting with Max, and it, you know that was more of a kind of a teaching meeting. I had a I had a, another meeting with uh, Jose Pena, which we had on a previous episode. Maybe we can tag him on the notes. Uh, but Jose, uh, cool part about Jose is that he um, we we're talking right now creating a local Latino meetup. Oh, that's and so cool. We're gonna have a Latino Ria that we're gonna be uh, coming out with soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, and then also, uh, uh, Denless doesn't know this, but we're actually gonna be talking to Denless and he is potentially going to be talking to him about doing a, uh, all, uh, um, Spanish speaking podcast based on the, on the RIA radio platform. Finally, because I, I actually met with, when I was working in DVG, I met with him and I threw, like I, I threw out those suggest- suggestions to him and I told him, Hey, you need to make an all-Spanish meetup and you need to do an all-Spanish podcast because there's an abundance of English-speaking yeah. podcasts, but there's no Spanish-speaking podcast for real estate. So I, I was like, you need to get this idea. like now. Yeah. So, yeah. Great great idea. So he's doing it? Did you guilt him into it? Well, I don't know. That's that's Ted's conversation. But I spoke when I spoke to him, he was saying he was going to team up with two guys, but I can't yeah. remember their names. Yeah, so I, I met with that team. Uh, we... We not to take away from your conversation, but we started this conversation uh, almost after he was on our podcast. Mm, yeah, and that the, was way before that I I spoke and, to him. So and yeah. I don't know what that time frame plays, but uh, so we started this conversation. I've had multiple conversations. I've had other people from our local Latino market actually hit me up to to do this also, and then I yeah. I hit him up. I'm like, hey, I'm getting other people approach me on this idea, and so if you want to act on this, we need to get on this now. Yeah, yeah. So. If, if, I mean, if enough people get behind you to do something, then you you feel like you have to get it done, right? So. Well, I feel like Ted needs to, uh, you know, take Rosetta Stone or uh, Babel or something like that and learn Spanish because he seems to be an ambassador or connector of the uh, Latino speaking or uh, Spanish speaking community. So I think we should do that. I am so. A, hey, my, my, you know what my superpower is? It's connecting people. There you, you know go. what your superpower. But imagine is, how, how how much better you would be if you spoke Spanish. Your superpower is being an awesome podcast host. <laughs> so uh, let's thanks, just let, let me just keep on doing. Okay. My, let me keep doing my thing. Let Dennis do his thing, and then, and then all right, <laughs> do your thing. Do your thing. Well, let's get to today's golden, golden nugget. nugget. All right, today's golden nugget is okay. Here's the deal: multifamily commercial real estate. You've heard cap rate thrown around a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So what is cap rate, Ted? Can you, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Yeah, cap rate is all your expenses. That's your your insurance, your um, your cost of running the property, right? Mm-hmm. That could be your trash out. That could be your your lawn care. That can be your insurance. insurance. All that. Yeah, so on yep. and so on. 
And and it's your in your return that you're going to get based on a percentage point. So let's take a hundred thousand dollar property, and just to keep numbers simple here, if you are operating off of a cap rate, a cap rate of seven would be what? That well, that seven percent is the ideal return that you want on a multifamily. That's like the magic number. Okay, so seven a seven cap would return you seven thousand dollars off of a hundred thousand dollar investment irrespective of your financing. So let's say you bought it cash, mm-hmm. okay? A, a seven cap means you're going to make seven grand. At the end of the year, 7,000 bucks in your pocket, irrespective of financing, okay? So here's some quick math for you guys. And this is something that I hope is going to be helpful for people because when you're evaluating, should you or should you not buy a property or you're evaluating what kind of repairs should I do to this thing? Is it worth me putting money into it? What kind of return am I going to get? Here's how you evaluate it. Market value equals NOI divided by cap rate. So what does that mean? That means what your property's worth is the net operating income. So how much money you have left after all expenses before you pay your financing divided by the cap rate. And the cap rate, like we explained, is basically the market value of the property. So how much of a return are you going to get after you invest $1? So if it's a seven cap, you're going to end up with seven bucks or or, uh, excuse me, seven cents out of every dollar. And then uh, when you're evaluating, okay, so I own a multifamily property. Should I or should I not do this repair? The easy way to factor this is, let's say you're going to rehab an apartment build or an apartment unit in a complex that you own or a building you own. That apartment unit, let's say your repair costs are going to be 12000 bucks. So you need to do like flooring, paint, light fixtures, countertops, you know, do a complete refresh. Let's say that costs you twelve grand to do that improvement. If you apply the cap rate to that capital expense that you just incurred, you can determine whether or not you're going to get a positive ROI out of it. ROI meaning return on investment. Okay, so let's say you do the do the work to an apartment unit and you're able to get a hundred bucks net operating income out of that. So you're netting out a hundred bucks positive. You're you're taking out all the expenses, your net increase is a hundred bucks a month. You times that by twelve, it's gonna end up twelve hundred bucks at the end of the year. You take twelve hundred dollars, you divide that by the cap rate of let's say it's six percent. You're going to end up with $20,000. So take 1200 divided by 0.06, it's going to end up with 20 grand. That is the increase that you're going to get in value. Mm-hmm. So you're getting way over 100% ROI on your investment. Now, does that mean it's money in your pocket? No, it doesn't, but it means it's money on the actual value of the building because as we all know, Commercial buildings are valued by the net operating income and prevailing cap rate, not the appraised value. And and if you do like like what these like um, syndicators do, where they refi every five years, then as you improve and you get at twenty thousand dollars, it's going to buy twenty thousand. But then you continue doing more improvements, that is going to increase the value. And then when you go to refi to pay off your your investors and own it free and clear, I guess. Uh, but as in you own it all and because you paid off all the investors yeah then it makes sense that way because i mean look at how much you have been you have increased the value by with the amount 
well, respected, respective to the amount that you invested in the property itself. Like it, it makes sense. No, you're exactly right. And here's the crazy thing. So you get a lot of multifamily owners that have owned stuff a long time. Maybe they're not very sophisticated. Maybe they started out in single family. They traded up. They just did what they knew. They took care of the property themselves. They owned a you know 20 unit or a 24 unit or something like that, right? And they get toward the end of their, you know, let's say investment in real estate appetite and they decide, do they want to sell? Maybe they're, they're just like, I'm out. It's dog years. <laughs> you know, it's been a long road. I'm going to sell it. They aren't taking it into consideration basically like, okay, if I sink 10 grand into this remodel, if I can improve the value or 12 grand into this remodel and I can prove the value enough to where I can raise the rent a hundred bucks, which honestly isn't that much. Yeah. If you own a multifamily property and it's super dated and it has like, you know, avocado green or like, you know, morning glory gold or, you know, all those colors that were in the seventies or whatever. And it's like, you can demo that and remodel it. And, and if you can increase the value 12, you know, thousand, or if you can spend 12 grand on a remodel and it's a six cap, which was where we're at right now in Omaha. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, it's going to end up in a, with a value increase of $20,000. Why would you not do it? And that's for one unit. Exactly. Yeah. And, and if there's a 24 unit or whatever. Exactly. You're about, like, yeah. <laughs> that's so you're 20, talking. That's, that's what 24 by 20 is, is 480. It's well, exponential. Yeah. The, the number of units you have, if you continue to do that process and wow. sync the improvements into that and increase the net operating income. But I wanted to highlight this because I feel like a lot of people are uh, like, I don't understand how cap rate net operating income. What does that mean? If you're used to single family, it's a whole different world, Oh yeah, but it's not that hard. And I get like, there's going to be people that are be like, well, cap rate is subjective and blah, blah, blah. But really, if you look at the prevailing cap rate in a market, it, me it only means what are properties selling for? irrespective of the debt on the building, what are they selling for compared to their net operating income? And that's pretty easy math. And you can actually pick up buildings and properties that have a net operating income that you could juice right out, right out of the gate because they're under rented. Yeah. So you don't even have to go in and do like a heavy lift. Like you're all oh, like, I have to remodel every single unit. You go in and you're like, you know what? Leases are all month to month. I'm just going to renew the leases and juice the rents by a hundred bucks a month. Guess what? You could end up with like, multiples of a hundred thousand dollars in value increase like yeah. it's crazy but but one of the questions i had to ask yeah is, okay so cap rate is all the expenses except the debt yes so why are you excluding the debt because somebody could have a different position in the property they could buy it for all cash so they want to know i'm am i getting a six percent return on my money Oh, so you, you're not thinking about the actual performance right. with the debt. You're thinking of the actual performance of the building. Yeah, and of, here, here, of the building. And itself. I'm glad you asked that because if you, let's say you happen to find a deal that was 100% financed, you walked into it and you said, the, the owner was like, you know what? I like you. I love uh, Trini's. And I want to <laughs> loan you the entire purchase price of this building. So your cap rate is going to still remain the same as my cap rate if I'm getting an 80% loan on it. Mm. Yeah. Even yeah. though you have 100% debt and I have 80% debt. Yeah. So whatever you pay for debt service out of that, because it's that, that's the reason it's that way. It's You can do apples to apples because if you have a, if you have an, a 20% you know, mortgage on it, right? Your yours is going to be way, way different than mine. That's at 
three percent or whatever. You you know what I mean? Right, yeah. So you have to you have to evaluate an apples to apples um, you know scenario, and that's why they do cap rate that way. So uh, anyway, just I wanted to highlight that because I think that's a confusing thing to a lot of you know, especially newer investors or people that are considering multifamily. And they're like, I don't get the whole cap rate NOI thing. But if you're going to go in and make improvements to that, or even if you just go in and raise rents, it's like an exponential increase in the value of the building. Oh, yeah. And you can use that to refi out or sell later or whatever you want to do. It's crazy. Yeah. And and it's it's actually good that you bring this in because our guest today, Ryan Miller, actually, as far as I heard in the podcast... Had no, no single family real estate. Yeah, like no. He just no, jumped right into my He just jumped in, like, "Hey, so, I'm diving in, cannonball! Here I come." So now, so now it begs the question: When does cap rate actually make sense to apply to a multifamily? Because from from four and under, it's considered residential. Five and up is considered commercial, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so De- what Dennis is talking about is four four units and under are is considered residential real estate. Five units and above is considered commercial. So even though it's residential, like people are living in your units, it's actually considered commercial. Yeah. So you so you, you use cap rate and all these different things, I guess, to compare values, mm-hmm. market values of different properties. But when you when you're considered residential, you use um comps, right? Residential use comps, yes, that's correct. Right. So so for up to a four unit, you wouldn't necessarily be using cap rate because You'd be using comps. You're exactly that. right. Okay. Yes. Okay. Good. Cool. Yeah. That's making sure. Yeah. That was a rookie segment sponsored by um yeah. D- DB Video. Yeah. And <laughs> there you go. And uh, still waiting for your check. And <laughs> on that that topic though, this is a good a good thing you brought this up though because I think a lot of people expect four units and e- even sometimes five and six units to be like considered commercial. Mm-hmm. So they're like. Or my appraisal should be based on the NOI, not not the actual comparable sales. And what a lot of appraisers do, and I don't know if this is just an Omaha thing, but like I've noticed that a lot of them, even if you have a sixplex, they may not evaluate. The appraiser may say, well, yeah, it's commercial, but there's a comparable sale over here that sold for X. So I'm going to factor that into my decision. And I want to bring that up because I don't think everybody knows that. Yeah. That we, I, we, I've had this happen multiple times where people are like, well, yeah, there's a sixplex or an eightplex that sold over here and it sold for X. So we're going to apply that to the value that we think your property's worth. We we, we probably should have asked Tom Delwood that. Yeah, yeah. He was here. We link that in the show notes. But I uh, well, hey, we'll notes. have him back in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Wait, well, wait. with all of that, I would like to take this opportunity to inter- introduce the infamous Ryan Miller. Ryan, welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you for having me. We know that you're doing some multifamilies, you're doing some things, and we thought it'd be kind of good to get you in. But my first question is, I don't know a lot about your past. Mm-hmm. And and I, and I see two American flags on you. I see Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. Is it safe <laughs> to say that you've done some sort of military in your life? Yes. Yeah, so I'm uh, from Louisiana originally. I joined the military at 19 oh, wow. and spent 20 years in the military. What branch? Like, what did uh, you do? I was in the Air Force. Uh, did uh, originally, well, career that I was in was supposed to be radios and navigation on aircraft. You're on the radio now. This is perfect. <laughs> You're just like, you know. <laughs> yeah, talking to air traffic control is a little different, you know, <laughs> just doing a radio check. So, but uh, I ended up switch. Well, I didn't switch. I stayed in the same career field, but uh, I got on station on the E4B here. And, what uh, is that? It's a. Uh, 
It's hard to say. It's uh, it, it's called, they call it the Doomsday Plane. So it's a basically airborne Pentagon. Uh-huh. Uh, so case of nuclear war, uh, stuff like that. Is that is spyglass? Is that is that the uh, no? So you think lo- looking, looking glass? glass. Sorry, looking glass. Look, uh, so when they took away looking glass, they kind of split up the mission uh, between the Navy E six uh, for Takamo and the E four, and they kind of dissolved it. So it does some of that mission. Uh, it it's basically there and. Ryan's like, what can I say? Not in yeah. trouble. <laughs> Tell no. you that I'll have to kill all you and all of your audience. Yeah, so it, it's basically a flying Pentagon. So they can take over um, someone nukes the Pentagon or something like that, and they can send out forces and you know control the keep the military in control of things. I, I've always wondered this. Do you think that we are a? Do you know that we are for sure a target if like stuff went down? And Russia or China or whatever, like they hit the button, are is strategic air command in Bellevue going to be like a hot zone? I may or may not know something. I don't know. <laughs> I, so I pretty much pack, pack, pack your bags and uh, hit, hit the gas. That's the reason why that bunker goes so deep. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So. All right. Read, read between the lines here. Yeah. Huh. They, they know that the president's come to Omaha when when, when yeah. uh, there's an issue because it, yeah. it can get really deep. So yeah, I came here on nine eleven, and um, E four was on standby. I mean, they stayed airborne for I don't know seventeen days or something like that. Wow, um, continuous mission. Wow. So. Tell me something. What's your opinion on this? There, we, there are so many military people in our local RIA that we've had on this podcast. We've 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 talked about this numerous times. But what is? Why do you think that there are so many uh, military individuals that are in the real estate investing world? I don't know. Uh, I guess I never given much thought. I think it's just a enlisted military is always in the top 10 most stressful jobs in the nation. I think we're used to stress. I think we're used to things like that. And real estate, while it's probably not hard per se, it is, I think, stressful. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember my first putting my first offer. I don't think I slept for two days or something <laughs> like that. So uh, it, I think it's part of that, the adrenaline, the, um, and just building something, being part of something, I think is probably another part of it. Uh, hey, okay, I want to ask you something. So, in the in the military, so you you enlisted out of uh, high school, right? You went, you were nineteen. You said you went right into the Air Force. Yep. Did you know you were going to be like? Do they call that what? What do they call that when you just stay on beyond what you're obligated to? Is that you're, are you a career military? Is that what they call so, it? Yep. So I came. I feel in, dumb for asking this. I feel, came in initially for six years, and then I uh, I was having fun. I was. Stationed in England, uh, decided to reenlist, and then came here. Uh, and then once you become that, then they consider you a career, in the Air Force. They call it career airman. Uh, and then they've changed the rules now. Now you, I think, over ten years, you can just do like a an indefinite enlistment. Uh, <laughs> before I was, you you do it either four or six years. Okay, and are you still in, or are you you're out now? So I got. Out, uh, basically right as COVID hit, officially retired one March of 2020. And then you're I, like, sweet, I'm done. I'm going to go travel. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Yep. I can't travel anywhere now. But I, I did take a job <laughs> back as a defense contractor. So I still. Uh, I so still, you're civilian working uh, at the base or uh, unnamed location? I, I work from home, mm-hmm. uh, but I call it a glorified Maytag repairman. <laughs> uh, so I work on a. On a telecommunication system so like uh 
they call it defense red switching network. It's basically uh, secure communications for uh, the president, SecDef, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, all the generals and stuff like that. Secretary of Defense. Secretary of Defense. Okay, a lot yeah. of acronyms being yeah. thrown around Sorry. here. Sorry. <laughs> uh, part of being a military. Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, so I work on that system. So they had their their day to day maintenance people, and then I do support engineering for them. So if they need to put something new in, they need uh, they can't figure out the initial issue. They call me for mm-hmm. engineering documents or just second eyes and help with that. And so I've been the last five weeks working doing uh, all their uh, upgrades. So changing all their hardware, uh, upgrading all the software and stuff like that. So been doing that, and then say it was my first day off. So. You're like, look what I got to do now. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of being uncomfortable. At least you get a cocktail yeah. while you stay here. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember my phone, my work phone was on. And there you so, go. Yeah. <laughs> might want to shut that one off. Yeah. They're going to listen to you and get really mad. <laughs> so you grew up in Louisiana originally, right? And then did you have, uh, you were, was your family in the military as well? Yep. So I. You moved I, around a lot? Oh, no. So my dad was in Vietnam. Uh, he. Did whatever three, two, three, four years. I don't even really know. And then got out. Uh, I just went to that memorial. It was really impactful to go to. Yeah, and uh, all my family. Like uh, I had a uncle that fought World War Two, like uh, Battle of the Bulge, and so I mean, going all the way back, uh, kind of just always kind of came from a military family. My dad, like I said, was in the Navy. I had an uncle that was in the Navy, and I had some of their gear uh so i originally was gonna join the navy and then luckily uh that didn't happen so (laughs) do you still feel the same after watching top gun maverick that make you rethink your uh branch choice no no oh okay (laughs) that's all hollywood because i really wanted it i saw that and i was like dang did you see it i did that was an awesome movie they did a really good job i'm glad they stuck kind of with the original storyline and kind of worked in the old stuff yeah that was cool i I heard it's breaking numbers like i i think they said it's like getting close to titanic numbers well, yeah, it's over a billion. Yeah, uh, like yeah, just insane numbers. Yeah, that that was sounds like there might be a part, pretty well done. I sounds think. like there might be a part three coming out. Super realistic that yeah. they called Tom Cruise back in as a an instructor at Top Gun. Yeah, it was a good. Uh, I actually I had to go watch it the day it came out. So oh yeah 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 <laughs> I was there with you. Awesome. Uh, okay, how how long ago did you move to Omaha? So I originally moved to Omaha in '06. Uh, I was here stationed here for ten years. And then I left in 16 and then... Did you get redeployed? Is that why you left? No. Uh, yep. So think of like a large company with different divisions or whatever. The E4 was going from what they call uh, ACC to Global Strike Command. And they needed somebody up at Global Strike Command with my background. And so being from Louisiana, I volunteered to take the position just to go back home and be close to my mom and stuff for a few years. So I did that from 2016 to 2019. Okay. And, and then, then, and then back to Omaha and retired from there. My wife's from Papillion area. So. Got it. So you're here forever. I'm, uh, <laughs> I made a deal with my oldest daughter. Uh, she moved around quite a bit and told her we'd be here for five years. She's a sophomore. To start a oh sophomore yeah, year. yeah. And so she doesn't want to start over again in high school. I don't three know. three more good. years. And then, uh, then you'll see. We'll, we'll see where we go from there. So, 
AKA, I want to. I want to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where would, if you could live anywhere, where would you live? So right now, our plan is when my oldest daughter graduates, my other two will be in sixth and seventh grade. So the plan is to, I call it modern day backpacking throughout Europe. So basically, they don't Airbnb isn't as big there, but whatever their equivalent is, uh, and just kind of go to Portugal for. A week, a month, whatever we decide, and then go to France, go to Italy, and just kind of move around throughout Europe for two years. But you said your oldest is uh, 15, but your youngest is eight. Correct. So what would, what would you do? You have, yeah, how are you going to do school? Yeah. Like, how is that? Because that sounds awesome. But then I'm immediately thinking, like, how the hell could you even swing that if you have kids? So we'll just do homeschooling uh, and figure it out. Just so. hand her rich dad, poor dad, and be like, oh, okay, this is everything you need to know. <laughs> Basically. <Yeah>. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay, speaking of rich dad, poor dad, how did you get exposed to real estate investing in the first place? So initially, backing up to Louisiana, my wife stayed home, and she had like a ladies group that she would go to this church, and they had like a, a really nice coffee bar there, and it had... I.e. wine bar. <laughs> no, it, it was coffee. And it's had, a quote-unquote book club. That's, they, that's, that's what they do in Col- Denver, Colorado, I heard, too. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't one of those. But uh, they had a huge playground. And so it was all glass. And you could – the ladies could have coffee on one side and watch your kids play on the other side. And we're like – we live out in West Omaha. And we said that would do amazing out there. So – that was kind of our plan to do something like that. You mean and open one yourself? Open one ourselves once we move back here. Like I said, I moved back here right as COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And it's when all the good businesses were started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that quickly changed my plans. And so I started looking, what else can I do? And then I started looking at day trading. I got a business degree, so do a you know, tad bit about trading. And so I started looking at day trading. I was like, no, this is too subjective. And then uh, found bigger pockets, started going down the bigger pockets rabbit hole. And I don't know exactly how I stumbled across Colin's name, but Colin Prank. Schwartz. Colin Schwartz. Yeah. Bathroom wall somewhere. And uh, <laughs> good and time into so, the big heart. <laughs> and so I just. Ryan's re- like, I got that number. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I just reached out to him on bigger pockets <laughs> and I said, hey, I'm you know, looking to get into this. What what should I do? And he said, go on Facebook, look up these two groups, and start going to meetups. And so that was last summer time frame. And uh, that's kind of what started it. Here we are. Yeah. You're, here on, we are. you're on the radio. You've done everything you've done in, in, in 12 months. Yeah. So I started – I think I joined Maria. I know my membership Holy just Lord. expired in like June or July of – uh, I got the email saying I need to renew. Uh-oh. So Jessica, get on that. Yeah. It's been right at a year, so uh, – since I joined the RIA. So that's kind of what I go off from is the, the RIA Wait, renewal. I appreciate your business. <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> hey, real quick, before we uh, get get into the meat and potatoes of your real estate investing. So you mentioned you went you got a degree all in business mm-hmm. uh, business management, is that what you said? Or business administration? Business administration. Okay. Yeah. So you went to, went to the went into the military, the Air Force, right out of high school when you were 19. At what point did you end up working a degree in there? So that was off and on throughout. I did you take like online classes or so how? I did. So I so the Air Force offers you a, a 
opportunity at least for their they have a community college associated with the Air Force called Community College of the Air Force. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh so so you knock out your generals and and uh, get cheap tuition or so, free, free yeah, tuition. Yeah, so it's based off from your job, every job, you know, if you're an admin job, they have some kind of admin uh associates. So you basically have five once you become a NCO, you basically have five classes you have to take. So your math, your English, your humanities, those type of just the gen eds, and then they give you a associate's degree. So I took that, and Bellevue University here in uh, Bellevue, Nebraska, offers uh, associates to a uh, bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. And so I signed up. It was an accelerated program. So That's what I did. It's supposed to be 15 months, and – Man, it was 15 months. Of, well, actually, I, I took a break in between the, the 12 core classes and the, the last three for the Kirkpatrick series. I love that program, man. So, I don't know how, what your thoughts on it were, but like I, I, got, I found that really satisfying, I guess. But I went back later, so I was, <laughs> I think, 25 when I finally finished That's up. Probably roughly were. Yeah. I, I actually didn't finish it, uh, and I want to say, like, Three years ago, four years ago. So okay, that was a relief, right? Yeah, you're like, oh, thank God, I finally got that stupid piece of paper. Now that I don't need it anymore because I'm a real estate investor. I think I, I think I have t- <laughs> ten credits left to finish college. You do? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, go back to Carney, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Start your own fraternity. <laughs> I can see this happening. <laughs> Little Rhea Radio Satellite Office. Yes, we could own the fraternity. Beer pong. Imagine all the stuff you know now. Drew, Drew's room already has an office uh, meetup down there. So I'm sure Jessica it. would be fully supportive of you taking a sabbatical and. Uh, heading off and finishing that bad boy up. Carney. I'll talk to her. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you found Bigger Pockets and then somehow found Colin Schwartz, uh, started going to meetups. What were they like? Would you how would you describe your personality? Would you say you are outgoing, type A, introverted, a mix of the two? What what, what say you? I am definitely introverted uh on initial meetup, I would say. Like once I get to know somebody, you know, I'll be as rambunctious and idiotic as anybody, but, uh, we appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) So, but yeah, initially going to meetups, I was, the first one I went to was Collins meetup, uh, on, uh, I I think it was a Wednesday night (laughs) when his is. Yep. And I was the person in the back of the room. Uh, I don't remember who I talked to or if I talked to anybody, you know, I was kind of in there, got, got the check mark and I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. I want to say that was my first one. And, I, I thought it was informative, but I was scared during the headlights. You know, I'd, I, I know y'all, I hear y'all talk about uh, imposter syndrome, and I definitely had that going on strong, you know, there that day. So, yeah. So, okay. So you went, got out of your shell a little bit, started rubbing elbows with some other investors. When you retired officially in 2019 and you woke up and it was your first day and you didn't have any of the regular responsibilities that you have. What, what what was that like? Can you describe kind of what was going through your head at the time? Were you like feeling super weird, at, like you had to be somewhere at all times, and you didn't really have to? And it was that a, did that feeling take a while to go away? So twenty years in, I just imagine it's a little bit of that. There's a void. So for me, I would say I hear a lot of people to say that I didn't necessarily have that, but in the same token, I uh, retired just prior to Christmas, so I'd have had that time off anyway. And then I started working uh, the company I worked for basically first of January. And uh, I think it was January 8th or something like that. 
And so I didn't have much time in between there. Like I said, I, I'd have pretty much been off for two weeks. Um, no, wait, you, you got a different job after you redeployed, or you're saying the civilian on uh, your like tier three tech support or whatever, yep. your Maytag repairman job. Maytag repairman job. Yeah. So I got Now that. you don't have that still, right? Or do you? I do. So oh, okay. I got this lovely phone that they yeah, tether the me with. Phone. And, uh, so. All right. So talk us through, you uh, went to some meetups. What was your first real estate deal? The first deal I actually got through, closed on, was uh, I found it on Crexy, I think it was. It was uh, a duplex and a quad package deal. Um, it was. That was your first deal, huh? First deal. I think they were asking. I don't know. I think it was over half a million dollars that they were asking. And I called the realtor and she was, she said, uh, we were just getting ready to lower the price to, I think, 450 or something like that. <laughs> what a dumb move on her part. <laughs> and I was like, before you. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, that was really dumb. Just make sure we don't use that agent. Yeah. So I said, before you lower the price publicly, I was like, can I put in an offer? She's like, yeah, that's fine. And so I put in an offer. I think I ended up getting it for 420. I want to say initially they were asking 550 or something like that. Okay. So four plex and a duplex. Uh, same. Built, they, built a suit or conversions or what were these? So uh, I think they were both, com- they should both, both be conversion. These are yeah. older. Uh, separate utilities. So the the duplex was separate utilities, everything separated. Yeah. Uh, and. Uh, the quad was not or is not. Uh, I did separate the electrical uh, okay. since doing it just to you put some money into it, just to make it a little bit easier. And were these crap holes or were they not bad? Stabilized. So, so the duplex it was Airbnb at the time of buying it. Uh, so I bought it with furniture and everything, and kept oh it, wow, kept okay. it as an Airbnb, and it's doing really well. Uh, you still have it? I still have it. Mm-hmm. Um, the fourplex is a test of love. <laughs> I initially said I was going to do the property management on it, A, just to learn, and B, to save money. And it's just pain in the butt. Uh, so I don't speak Spanish really well. Uh, my tenants, a couple of them don't speak English very well. So just the communication barrier there, uh, like having to go through someone's child to talk to them makes it hard. Mm. Um Especially like if it's a sensitive subject and you have to go through their twelve year old child, fourteen year old child, it it just makes it uh, hard. I, I think it makes it hard. I can relate. This uh, is how I communicate with my wife at home. <laughs> this, <laughs> path the least resistance to my daughter. <laughs> Sorry, love uh, you, Jen. So uh, and it's you know, it, you always read the stories of there's issue. You know, like hey, I just got laid off from my job or uh, I'm trying to think of another one I had. Are uh, you a softie? No, I'm not. So <laughs> I, I've read enough and listened to enough things that everybody's like, no matter what, like you have your rules, stick to your rules. So I have been, you know, like, Hey, you're going to, I think it's like $5 a day late fees. Like, so I've stuck to it. And I think it does help a lot to be honest with you that it does, but the same token, like I don't like it. <laughs> So. Yeah. Now your Airbnb that you bought, uh, the duplex, you said it's still you still operate it and it's still doing well. Correct. Do you have somebody managing that, or do you ha- are you handling all the bookings and all the cleanings and all the day to day? Like, because it's I mean, as Ted's described, it's not 
it's not the same as a long term rental. It's there's a lot more work involved. There's a lot more work. I've I pay for for software to uh, automate it all. So what are you using? So for cleaners, I use turnover uh, turnover BNB. And so I don't even have to really communicate with the cleaners unless they need something. So, or so you issue. find the cleaners and then get them involved in the site, or they find they have it all there. Turn, turnover B and B will have you can do it both ways. So you can either bring your cleaners there, or uh, hmm. or yeah. uh, you ever heard of that clean cleaners on there? I've heard the other sites, but I didn't know the name of it. So um, so I use that for the cleaners, and then I use uh, property management software. Uh, I use it's called Owner Res. Uh, there's other ones. I, that's just the one I decided on. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide on them? I, I really don't remember. I was trying to think of that the other day. They were some of them are expensive. This one was cheaper. I do remember that. Um, do they uh, do they have uh, the software built in to be able to help me manage and document your Airbnb though? Correct. So I have automated everything. So a tenant comes. If you used the platform before and you don't have negative reviews, you can automatically book through me. Like it'll just automatically approve you. Um, and then if that happens, then you get a booking saying, "Hey, thanks for booking with us. We'll we'll uh, we'll be in touch, you know, as mm-hmm. time gets closer." And then when time gets closer, they um say, "Hey, you'll be moving in a couple of days. Here's the here's the location of the place. I don't give them any codes or anything until the day before." Then it gives them that's all through, that's all through the Airbnb platform though, isn't it? Or no, you, this is all automated stuff through uh, through Turnover BNB. It does okay. all the communication with them. Uh, so as long as there's no issues and people don't have a whole bunch of questions, I can literally go months without talking to anybody. For um, are you serious? Yeah, is that hands off? Is that hands off? Okay. Do you remember do you, what's that cost ballpark? So, and I also have, uh, I think it's called Price Labs that does my uh, pricing. So, I want to say in total between the three of them, well, turnover BNB doesn't cost you anything unless the turnover, unless you're using a cleaner. So, they charge like half a percent or one percent or something of the cleaning fee. Uh, That's it? Yeah, it's, so I think my cleaning fees are $65 and I pay sixty-eight fifty or something like that. So, I give them whatever that however many maybe it's more than maybe it's two percent something like that but it it's negligible okay um and i also charge more so i charge i think seventy five eighty dollars something like that for cleaning fees so it's it's covered in there yeah and the you build rest, it in yeah. and the rest of it just goes to cleaning materials and stuff like that but um yeah it's i want to say probably in total somewhere fifty seventy five dollars a month Okay, to, so that's for the software. For the that's software. for basically offloading a lot of the day-to-day crap uh, to software, and they handle that. What? Tell us about your worst Airbnb experience so far. Mm. <laughs> he piped up there. <laughs> that would have been my first night. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, tell us, yeah, tell us the story. So, Is this your failing forward? <laughs> it, it very well could be. <laughs> uh, so my first night, I had the same locks on the door uh, from the previous – uh, oh, no. They were all, you know, electronic locks, but uh, I didn't know it at the time. But one of them was it was sticky, and I don't know exactly how it happened. But the tenant, one of them moved into the wrong unit because there was two of them. They're both booked the same night. Oh my gosh! I just dealt with this, and <laughs> supposedly one of them took some pills from 
the other person, like this girl was a nurse. She claimed that someone took pills from her out of her bag. Uh, so she was pissed about that. And then in addition to that, so these people were there, one of them was supposed to be there for like a week or something like that. Like, so I think the first night I went live was a Friday night. The Saturday night, they must have gone out, got drunk, couldn't open the door. So they kicked in the door. They didn't even tell me that the door got kicked in or anything until later on. And then... So the software doesn't help with that. Software doesn't <laughs> help with a, with a boot. And then, so that was like Saturday night. Like Monday, I started getting calls from Airbnb saying, hey, we have an issue with one of your guests and we're going to have to uh, evict them. And I'm like, is this normal? You know, like this is literally my, I guess my second guess. And they... Airbnb is trying to get a hold of them. These people won't answer their phone from Airbnb. They won't get out of my place. Uh, luckily, Airbnb covered everything. They paid paid me for the for the duration of it. They paid to get the door fixed. Uh, everything ended up working out at the end. I, you know, changed out all my locks. And that first night, my wife was not enjoying life as a super host <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> the first night you said you had trouble getting them out like what happened because of something that happened at another uh another location another location previous, where they stayed previously airbnb was kicking them off the platform got it got it and so, so they, they said you suck as a as a guest correct, we're, we're not allowing you to book through us anymore so, because you know yeah. you're doing crap so i don't know what happened i just had to deal with it and they would answer my texts and calls, but they wouldn't answer from Airbnb. And Airbnb is like, don't go over there. Don't, you know, if the cops have to get involved, we'll get the cops involved. And so it was, <laughs> it was kind of interesting. Like, like I said, I'm brand new to this and I didn't know what to do. Trial by fire, baby. Yeah. Like, here we go. So, now, how many have you added to your portfolio since then? Or you just have this one? So since then, I bought a sixplex half a mile south of us. So those are right now, two of them are being renovated. How uh, long ago did you buy that one? Maybe two months ago. Oh, okay. So brand so new. So everything's yeah. been bought since February. So uh, okay. Well, what, what? Like, let's just get a big picture here, real quick. What is everything? So I have twelve units, three buildings. So the duplex, the quad, and now the six. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know. Hopefully, twelve or twenty-four coming up. And you only have one Airbnb. The duplex. Yep. Yep. Both, okay. both of them. Both units. Yep. And I mean, how did you grow so fast? Like, where, where are you finding these deals? You said Crexy in the first one. So. Yep. So I actually both of them have been off from Crexy. Uh, so Crexy.com is similar to what LoopNet used to be. You can find commercial, office, retail. It's not a residential platform for uh, searching real estate listings. It's for commercial listings. It's nationwide. Correct. Nationwide. Yeah. Nationwide. Yep. So I found both of them on there. Uh, I the first one as I when I came back here, I took HELOC against my home and. Uh, Use that for the for the first one. So you you took out a home equity line of credit on your primary residence, and you used that money to use for a down Correct. payment. So it was on the investments twenty five percent, you know, down. So mm-hmm. I used that for that. And um, now, did you get did you buy these in your own name at first, or did you use a, like a commercial loan with an LLC? Like, talk to us about that. So on the duplex and the quad, I got two different uh, uh, traditional. Well, conventional, conventional mm-hmm. loans um, on the six bikes. Obviously, I had to go commercial on that one. Uh, it was 
When you got your first commercial property, were you shocked that you find out that you had to pay like deposits on your sewer lines and stuff? Yeah, I, it's <laughs> a whole different world. I, I learned so much when I bought my first commercial. I'm sure you can test this, Owen, since you have tons of commercial. But the first time I'm like, what? I got to put a $2,000 deposit on my sewer line on a converted five single bed house to a five unit? I go, come on, man. <laughs> The nice thing is when you completely forget about that and then you sell that property and then you get a $2,000 check back from them or whatever. Oh, that you, happens. Huh? Utility company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's yeah, the so other side I of didn't the want. I didn't tunnel. want to pay it. And they were like, uh, I forgot what they gave me. They gave me another offer. Like, you can get this from a bank. And it's basically like buying an insurance policy. And I was, that was just as expensive. Oh, and The bond. Yeah, some kind of bond. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what it is, but. I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, so, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, because I was like, I don't want to pay this. Is there, do I have any other options? And they were like, yeah, you can do this bond. So I started calling around about this bond. And it's basically like buying an insurance policy that you don't, but you don't get the money back. And it was expensive. So yeah. So it I, wasn't worth it. You want to hear my story? I, I, I bought a bond on this place right here. And uh, and then I, I emailed it in. Never heard anything else. All of a sudden, my, my, my uh, gas and water get turned off in the middle of the day. I was here. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck just happened? I called them up and, and I'm like, I got a bond. I submitted it in, and they're like, they're like, uh, the, I'm like, you, it, I sent it to the email you guys emailed me to, and they're like, no, you have to present that bond in person. Oh and, my god! And uh, what is this, 1942? And, and this is like two, three months later, right? So then I'm, so I then I took that bond, uh, and then I'm like, okay, well, I'll bring it in. And they're like, well, h- how old is the bond? And I said, and they're like, oh no, you can only bring the bond in within the first thirty days. <laughs> so I paid, I don't even remember, four hundred bucks for this bond, and uh, and it was completely unusable, and and uh, I had to just go, I just go pay the two thousand dollars. Yeah, that's what I did. They were like, I called around, and it was like three, four, five hundred dollars for this bond, and I was like, do I get any of this back at the end of it? And they're like, no, it's gone, and, and so, it's every year. Yeah, and. Yeah. And they have the option of canceling it at well, that's any time. Stupid. That's dumb. Yeah. So I I didn't go that option. Well, I was I was really I was really you know I didn't have much money in my pocket left when it when it came to this building. So I was putting so much money into it. So the bond was the thing that made sense to me. And luckily, by the time it uh, got shut off, I had enough money in my accounts again to yeah. be able to move forward with it. But I'm like, oh, look, I'm, I just threw that money away. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But you have 30 days to get those bonds. And if you're, well, at least in here in Nebraska, it could be different wherever you're living. But at least here, after 30 days, you cannot turn the bond in and you have to pay the payment. Okay. So your portfolio now, are you, you're self managing all of them? Correct. And let's talk about this. So you are jumping right into multifamily. You are only doing rentals from how it sounds. Mm -hmm. Do you, Flip houses? Do you no nope. hotel? Do you any okay? But you're renovating the properties you have, so you have, so, you have a little bit of a team behind you. Correct. So I like the sixplex I bought. Three of them needed to be renovated. Uh, one of them flooded like a week before I bought it. So got a better deal. Yeah. Well, it wasn't that much better, but yeah. <laughs> so like just just pretend that didn't happen. Hmm. Wait, wait, wait until I close. <laughs> it was literally like I want to say a week, five days before closing that it happened. It ended up pushing closing out a little bit. But okay, they got a nice insurance claim on if it happened afterwards, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, insurance apparently only pay $5,000 for this particular backup. So that was kind of the, the issue. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, all right. You, you're, you're self-managing these. You, you're buying uh, multifamilies. You're putting basically down payment every time, right? So you're using. So actually on the sixplex, I got creative and didn't. I actually got like an $18,000 check. Back. What? Right closing. Well, let's talk about that. <laughs> How'd you work that magic? So 
The six plex, it was on the market for three eighty five. And, and the six plex is is it built for suit? I, or I, a conversion property? I don't really know. I think it was maybe originally four and they changed it to like I think the floor levels have changed through it. Mm-hmm. Um there's like a in between the so it's two in the basement, two in the middle, or you know, main level, and then two up top. Does it look like this building where it looks like a house? No, it's oh, okay. a brick building okay. that's uh it was built I assume as a fourplex with no basement. And I think they changed the floors to put two extra units in. Got it. Um, so if, if you go on the assessor side, Douglas County assessor, and you pull that property up, it'll it'll tell you what it was built as. So it'll oh, say really? like story and a half or two story. And then now it's multifamily commercial, multifamily residential. So you'll be able to tell what it was built as originally. Well, I'll have to do that. I All didn't right. know that. Yeah, there you go. So little gold nugget. It was on the market for 385 So I said, I kind of ran the numbers and I don't remember exactly what I came up with, but I was like, it was probably worth around, say, 330 I don't remember exactly. So I offered 385 but I asked for, I want to say, $40,000 in concessions or something like that. Okay, so like a seller credit. Correct. Okay. And I also asked for 65000 or no, 20% seller carry. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he carried the, the down payment, and then I also got Denless. money back. You paying attention to this? I am actually, yes. <laughs> so, uh, so you walked into a deal – a sixplex, and you got an eighteen thousand dollar check. Is what you're saying? I think it was somewhere around there, fifteen, eighteen, something like that. Yep. Huh? Eight, How did you? Closing. All right. How did you even know what the hell you were doing with that? I mean, you haven't bought that many. I mean, gra- I mean, it's granted, you, you've made some baller moves here, but so, how did you get that advanced strategy in the mix here? Who did you take advice from someone or? Uh, kinda. So if y'all remember the first West Omaha meetup where Colin spoke. That was like three days before I put in the offer on that. And Colin had actually kind of said this, that he had done something similar to this. So I was like, let's try it. And so that's kind of Colin Schwartz again. So I kind of stole that from – I don't think he said it exactly that way, but it was something that he had said there that kind of put the the, uh, thought in my head. Of making a a normal – or not – a unique offer. Correct. And then – yeah, that's – Interesting. So this was how long ago? Two months ago? Roughly two. Uh, I think we ended up closing end of May, beginning of June, somewhere right around there. So. And this was a listed property? Listed, yep. So most people probably looking at it and say it's not worth yeah. three eighty five, which I, I don't think it was. It was probably closer to three thirty, but I was able to get into it with no money down. And so now this money that I got is going to pay for the uh, renos. And so... So you got 40000 bucks. Uh, as a seller credit, you had a twenty percent seller carry back. Is that what yeah? I we ended say? up uh, after having it inspected and everything. Ended up he ended up covering sixty five thousand. So I think it was a little bit less than twenty percent, and like eighteen percent. But after the renegotiations and stuff like that, baller. And so, so what are you paying on that each month now towards him? Uh, somewhere in the four fifty range. Okay. And is that something that you're just going to keep carrying, or do you have intentions of paying that, pay, do a refi and then paying that uh, back so, to them, or what? So it's a balloon, mm-hmm. five year balloon. Okay. Uh, so I will. What kind of rate? What did they? Uh, it's five percent. So okay, well that's pretty sweet now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what the rates are. So I think my rate from the bank was four seven five, and I got seller the, carry at five. The good old days, two months ago. <laughs> two months ago. <laughs> I mean, she's I've called around to get commercial quotes. Five point five to six. Six and a half. 
I got two quotes last week for six and a half. Yeah, uh, we we got some quotes on. Uh, you know that building that you almost bought? Uh, the uh, yeah, the the dog park. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. Nottingham. Yeah, so yeah. Jerry, Jerry and Mike Schlickburn are buying that. Okay, and they closed. Yeah, I knew in, that in a couple weeks on that thing, and I think they got five point five on it. And they just got that lot down. But they probably applied for that a while ago. No, nope. I would imagine they, they just had to. They had to go through. Some, they just had to switch up the financing the last couple of weeks. What lender? Uh, I will give you that information afterwards. We'll put it in the show notes, Denmark. Out of Lincoln. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I'm working with a new lender in Lincoln, and they're awesome. Like the rates are way better. Yeah, but I think they got five point five on that. Cool. Okay. So, so there's still some rates out there. This is really interesting, though. So I where I was going with this line of questioning is. Everybody runs out of money eventually mm-hmm. when they first get started, especially if you start taking swings at uh, bigger properties instead of just single family, single family, single family. And uh, I'm going to back up and ask you some things about that. But what I guess, are you planning on just how are you going to grow is is where I'm going? Or do you just like, are you Scrooge McDuck and you you know are, <laughs> are uh, swimming in uh, gold coins at your house? I mean, I don't know. No, I mean most people don't know what Ducktales is, but, uh, but we just, I, I, I caught the reference. I will link it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, as far I've always said, like if I can get to twenty units with my military retirement and everything, I can step away from a W two if, if if that's my my choice. Like twenty it, units, at, but at a you gotta make it be making a specific amount of money. So twenty units at two hundred dollars a unit, roughly. You know, okay. so four thousand dollars is kind of the the goal. The, the goal. The the in monthly income in monthly. over and above your Correct. expenses. So and, and it sounds like you're trying to do that in, in like a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's we're we're trying, but so that's kind of my my tier one goal, if you will. Uh, I actually joined a mastermind uh, for military people. Uh, it's kind of, I would equate it to Jake and Gino. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, What's that one called? It's called Active Duty Passive Income. Oh, it sounds like a show notes link yeah. to me. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> do, okay. How long ago did you join that? So I joined that, uh, I'll say probably April timeframe. Okay. This year. This so, year. So a few months ago. What's the cost to join that? So I joined both their education and then they offered a cohort series that it was just basically 12 people and it was six weeks, eight weeks, something like that. And, uh, just kind of network together, go through the education together, have weekly calls. Was that the, uh, would you like fries with that, uh, upsell? <laughs> well, so the thing was only, so it's $3,000 for the mentorship and then the upsell was 500 more. Okay. But, uh, well, it's not bad. No, it, it was, uh, what money well spent? I, I think so. And also along with that, so the way they have it shaped, uh, once you do a deal, um, after you complete their cohort series and you do a deal, a multifamily deal, it opens you up to what they call, uh, so they call it the MMA, uh, multifamily, um, military multifamily academy is what they call it. And once you do that, then you're an MMA hero, so someone that's done a deal through them. Or under their tutelage, if you will, and they just started a fund, so it opens you up to be able to bring your deals through them for the fund, and so anything over a hundred units uh, nationwide, and then you basically do a joint venture with them. So they they have to take because of the uh, SEC rules, they have to take fifty one percent, but you can get literally forty nine percent ownership with no money down. 
Uh, you typically would be the boots on the ground person, you know, person that found the deal, person that kind of sets it up. So looking to do something like that on larger uh, multifamily and then more small, smaller stuff, you know, 20, 24 units here locally. Um, yeah, small stuff. Well, smaller <laughs> compared to when you're talking 100 plus. All right. So. Why did you decide to do multifamily first? That's not the normal. That's not normal for most 95% of people that are in this business. So that wasn't my initial first thing, but running the numbers, it just made more sense. It, like, everybody always talks the 1% rule. Well, it's hard to find a house that, a decent house in a decent neighborhood that hits the 1% rule. Would you describe what that means? 1% is, so if you buy something for $100,000, then it has to, 1% of that would be $1,000 uh, a month in uh, rent. In rental income. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but multifamily, you can hit that all day long. So it just came down to my goals and have flexibility in life that mm-hmm. I can do what I want uh, and travel or, you know, whatever with my family. All right. I, I want to, okay. D- this is a, l- a snapshot in time of someone that started fairly recently, but you have, would you say two years of real estate investing experience? I'd say is that about 15 months, I'd say. Okay. And you are on your way to 20 units, which you're going to hit that when? So my goal for this year was 10 and next year was 30, mm-hmm. but I would like to hit 30 before the end of the year. End of this year. Yeah. Okay. Year. So you're, you're going to be, let's call it two years in, not quite, but two years in by the end of this year, and you're going to have 30 units. That'd be nice. And no, it's happening. It's happening. And uh, <laughs> you, okay. So let's talk about struggles with uh, growth because those are, those are pretty big numbers. And I think getting back to the whole single family versus multifamily thing, I think most people, myself included, start out with single families because they're familiar with them. They grew up probably in a house. They know the different components of a house. They know how to repair things or at least how things work. Multifamily is a different animal because you have things that you can't necessarily solve by sending a contractor out. Like so-and-so parked in my parking spot. They're really loud upstairs. They're smoking weed in the hallway. You know, all those, all those things that are, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Or, you know, Airbnbs are a completely different animal. I mean, you've hopped into a little more sophisticated asset classes or at least methods of operating properties than most people start with. Mm-hmm. Um, 30 units by the end of this year. Let's let me take a peek behind the curtain here and say, okay, what are you worried about? How are you going to scale to 30 units? Um, what does the money th- picture look like financing? What is the family life work, you know, work life balance? You've got a full-time job. Let's just talk about that in general. Like you've got a, we got a lot going on and you got three, young kids at home or like a teenager, which is like three kids. And then you have two more kids. Yeah. And they're all girls. So that's like a multiple, they're like gremlins. So you, you have a lot going on at home. You have a full-time job. You have a rapidly growing multifamily portfolio. You have, uh, is it fair to say you have a finite uh, pool of money to keep deploying into these deals? Correct. What are you going to do when you run out? And how are you going to approach that? You mentioned like money and worries or whatever. I guess my my near-term worries is the current economy. You know, mm-hmm. where are we at? What's going to happen? Um, I bought this last 
sixplex with basically 100% financing. So pretty sweet. Correct, but it's also in, in the in the market right now that it, it could be worrisome. Where it's I'm scary, not, it's scary to see that payment coming out every every month. Correct, and why I'm not too worried about it is because it is still cash flowing. Mm-hmm. So as long as I can come up with that, and even if I'm not making money, I can I can weather the storm. It's like, kind of my. It's, it's like growing pains, though. I mean, I, I'm I'm not to your properties, uh, but. You know, my growth I've done in the last two years, you know, I'm, I'm seeing those large payments come out every month and, you know, I'm just sweating bullets. I'm like, I'm like, man, can I cover this? What happens if this happens? And then now, um, I've now transitioned to fully short-term rentals and, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, so how, you know, can I survive this winter based on what, what, what's going on right now? And, and it's, it's not like. Where Owen, that's been doing this for 17 years, and he's got hundreds of units behind him to back him up. You know, the the, the first couple of years are stressful. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's, Great point. Good. I mean, that's a good add on to what what I said because that's what I wanted to capture here. The mindset of somebody that's in growth mode, but I mean, you're not to the point where you've had the you know the pleasure of experiencing a 10 year bull run in the marketplace. Correct. And you have a shitload of equity to like, you know, refi and use whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Like I want I want to I want to talk about this cuz like at some point you're going to run out of money. What are you going to do then? And like I would assume and and correct me if I'm wrong here, but getting 100% plus financing on a multifamily deal in this environment that's pretty hard. Yeah, you're not going to find. I mean, it's not like you're going to go out and make ten offers and get me like, oh well, five of them accepted my hundred percent financing option. That doesn't happen. Correct. So I I see the market changing. You know, as we're sitting here, you know, it's mm-hmm. it it's becoming harder. Uh, interest rates are going up. Uh, I just don't know if how how long or how many people like you have to you have to find that right person to be able to do it this way. So I guess my near term goal is. To get to a point that I can say that I'm financially stable enough that I have money in the bank to pay for that rainy day in case something happens. And uh, also that I don't have to worry. Like if something happens, I have to run off and go get another W-2 if I decide to walk away from what I have now. Like I have a good job that um, there's no reason to walk away from, but it's – it's something that I don't want to slam the door on. You know, the, the opportunity if if I want to walk away is you know slam the door on that. You know, if it comes around. Now, is your is your wife working now? No, my okay. wife has not worked since uh, the nine year old was born. So, yeah. Okay, so Extra she manages. She yeah. her job is managing the household and right. uh, you know doing the lion's share of raising the children and which is a job. It that is you a job. Cannot put a price on. Just shout out to all the moms <laughs> out there. Yeah, no, we know that. Like, yeah. I just wanted to highlight that. So, but I'm also trying to paint a picture of what what the you know finance and your household looks like and everything. So, you, I, now correct me if I'm wrong. Do you get a pension for your uh, your military service? Which uh, thank you for your service, by the way. We didn't mention that, but uh, we really appreciate it. Thank so you. you have a, a military pension. I'm sure that helps, but it, you're not like, oh, I'm just going to go out and jet set now, right? <laughs> like it's probably covering the basics. Is it that does. Fair to say? And luckily, my wife and I have been relatively wise and have never gotten ourselves in a heap of debt, and mm-hmm. uh, so got it. So frugal, uh, frugal living combined with a pension combined with your uh, Maytag repairman job, <laughs> uh, and you are able to work some creative deals. That's cool. 
here's what I want to, I guess, uncover. What are you going to, do you have any plans to like flip anything or wholesale anything? Or how are you going to generate more cash for more down payments? Or are you going to look into partnerships or like, what is the evolution of your business going to look like? So when it'd be you- more, more partnerships, I think, um, down that, that avenue and maybe not, I know for you, you have like a, a partner 50, 50, like, I don't necessarily mean something like that. I mean, it might just be per deal. Per you deal. find a sweet deal Correct. and then you, you get somebody that has money parked somewhere Correct. and they uh, can get a better return with you. Correct. It's it. not, uh, I would rather find a deal, run the numbers and try to find somebody to partner with or somebody's to partner with and, um, go that Avenue then continually after that first deal. I mean, like I said it was 400. So I had to come out of pocket over a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. It was, uh, writing that check was not easy. <laughs> so, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm, as I'm asking these questions, I'm reflecting back on how, when I first got started and I had a full-time job and I had young kids and a wife and, uh, I was trying to make everything work and self-manage and all those things. Like I did all those things and I remember what a struggle it was. And I remember running out of money and I remember not knowing, uh, do I have enough for this rehab? Do like, is this refi going to come through? Like there's, you know, you're constantly scratching for dough. It seems like a lot of people are, if you're, if you're at a lone wolf and I mean the, you know, kind of the way to fast forward a lot of this is to, you know, get partnerships, get relationships with private money lenders, negotiate sweet deals with seller financing, and you get $18,000 checks at closing. Um, but there generally is a point where you either have to solve for the lack of cash, uh, by transacting real estate, uh, refinancing, getting partnerships or getting into creative deals or some combination of all those things. So I would say the two combinations I would like to do with partnerships and hopefully refi. Um, that's one of the reasons I like commercial better than, uh, um, uh, residential mm-hmm. is residential is only worth what the neighborhood will carry. Uh, whereas commercial, it's basically like buying an individual business mm-hmm. and it's how much net operating income you can generate off from that business, you know, off that building. But some people argue that the reason that they buy residential or at least have a mix of the two is because if you need that quick cash, you can sell it residential really fast where a commercial Correct. is a real pain in the butt. And I do eventually want to venture out and get my 10 Freddy, whatever, you know, the Fanny Freddy loans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and max those out. And that, that was always my initial goal. Like I said, the first two I bought are under that. So, uh, you normally get better terms than I'm going to put a prediction out there. When we re-interview Ryan here in three years, <laughs> he's going to have no single families. And he's probably going to be up to like 50 and 150 units. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. yeah. Buildings, that is. Not yeah. total. Correct. <laughs> yeah. But you, you don't start at the scale you are buying small multis. Everybody I know that I've worked with, that it's usually a like single family, small multis. And the people with the small multis, they never turn back. They Well, if, if I bought... If I use, I would use them only for Airbnbs. Have you ever borrowed uh, private money? I have not. So it that. Do you just talk? You can just talk smack about private money. That's fine. Yeah, no, I mean you're hesitant to do it because you the I, I don't know. I'm you. I'm putting words you mean in your private mouth. Private money or hard money? I guess private money. Private money. No, I have. Uh, I have not. I've struck up a deal of sorts with my mom initially. I was gonna. So I'm from Louisiana and. 
I was going to buy her house on a strange financing thing and try to try to uh, utilize that. But that was as close as I've ever come to um, something like that. And I don't know if I call my mom private money. You know, it's kind of family money. So. No, it's, I mean, friends and family, yeah. that's your generally your first source of uh, private money. So there's no, I mean, there's no shame in that. So that was, that was the only, the closest I've come to it. And it, after I run in the numbers and stuff, it just, it wouldn't have worked out. You know, the thing that sucks uh, kind of, well, it is what it is, but generally people are like, tell me if this resonates with you, but this, there's a stigma about borrowing money from family because People are like, oh, must be nice having a rich uncle or a rich parent or whatever, and they have it easy because they have this and this and this. But the reality is, like, if you're truly borrowing money, you're paying an interest rate for that money, and you're you have to be successful with whatever you deployed it into. Otherwise, you're going to train wreck your relationship with that person, go under, and it's not going to work out well for anyone. I tell you what, I've, I've had people very close to me, let's just say, that have offered me money to get to get involved with what I'm doing. And I, I personally have been so scared to take that on because I, I'm like, okay, so, you know, I'm really on the line here. I mean, it's not just my family. And now I'm, I'm, I'm affecting their family, you know, so mm -hmm. the pressure is like tenfold and I, and I yet to do it. But, you know, as my confidence builds, as I'm building more, I'll, I'll get more confident in that. But I tell you what, that, that is a big struggle for me. Dude, you know, what's funny. So like, as we've talked about, you know, I'm, a, I'm an owner of a hard money lending business and I still am not super comfortable asking for bar. I'm not all that comfortable approaching people about taking investor money. I don't know, but I'm getting over it because I have a deal in Branson that we're raising money for. And I have recently had kind of a mindset shift with that in that this is a great deal. You should be in on this. And if you know me, you need to get in on this deal. Like I'm not doing, you're not doing me a favor. I'm kind of doing you a favor. So in that mastermind that I was, that I'm part of, that's one of the things they kind of pitched to you is like, you're not asking somebody for money. You're offering them an opportunity yeah. on something to make money. And if you're, if you have a deal that, Hey, you can invest a hundred thousand dollars in, and in five to seven years, I'm going to give you $200,000, you know, your hundred yeah. plus another hundred, like, yeah. So that, that's a recent mental transformation that I've kind of undergone on the fly here for mm -hmm. real. Like I have just, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I'm in a hard money really lending business. Yeah. Really <laughs> Shut up, Ted. <laughs> and, but, but honestly, like I, I still struggle with the, I like I, or until recently I kind of struggle with the, like, uh, can I borrow money? You know, it's not that at all. Like I have a smoking kick-ass deal that if you have money parked anywhere else, this is going to be much better return for you, like yeah. for sure. I'm certain of it, and that's the whole thing. It's you have to you have to be certain about what you're, you know, what you're asking them for. You you have to be secure in your yes your underwriting your uh, knowledge of the market. I mean, people buy Apple stock or Microsoft stock or you know whatever, and they want certainty, correct? But there's no certain. Like I watch my. Income, or not my income, but my uh, investments in the stock market go up and down the last two years. Yeah. And it's, you know, there's no certainty there either. I mean, well, Warren Buffett just bought millions of shares of Apple and dropped all the stock in Verizon this week. That just gives you some insight. <laughs> <laughs> I hate Verizon also. I'm about ready to throw my phone out the window right now. I may do it. You should I, film it. So I, I, I mean, I had, I just had a situation where I'm, I'm 
been waiting for a loan to get through. It was supposed to close in two weeks, and um, it didn't happen. And uh, that's a whole other story. But long story short, now I'm like starting. I've had I had a buddy reach out to me a couple weeks ago, and he's like, yeah, he's very wealthy, and he's one of my best friends. And he's like, hey man, I got like two and a half million dollars burning a hole in my pocket. And he goes, if you need a loan. I'll, I'll give you a special rate. Duh, duh. And I feel more comfortable taking a loan from somebody than actually doing a partnership. And and that might be the way I'm going. I'm actually looking mm-hmm. all my, my resources around me because I have two or three people that said they'd give me financial loans. So I think that that might be my first oh, step. Oh, 100%. To, yeah. That, to, no, for sure. My first step to doing a a getting closer to doing a partnership. Like, that's, a, that's my baby step. Yeah. <laughs> generally, generally speaking, debt Taking debt from somebody or like going into debt with a person is much better than a partnership and you're get where you're giving up equity, mm-hmm. right? If the, all they're doing is supplying money to you. That, that's, I got, I got three people right now that have offered to me. Yeah. yeah I would take so, that for, over partnership. For know. sure. Have him, have him call me. I have a Branson deal. He, he's interested. <laughs> uh, no. Okay. So that's, that's interesting. So it, it, it sounds like you're going to, you're, you're kind of struggling your way to, success in the uh scaling up portion of of this story right yeah it's uh it's stressful i mean my wife tells me all the time you know you got a full-time job you got this that and the other why are you doing this what exactly she asked me that like why why do you why do you want to do this what's your answer so is it is it your why is that the answer so i'm i'm a religious person so i believe in giving back to people as much as possible uh I've never been in a great position being in the military to give back that much. And so that's kind of what I want. I want to be able to build something that I could pass on for generations and also give out to the community. And like, can you, can you elaborate on generations of your family? Generations of my family. So let's think of that. Like how will you disperse that to your kids? So, first is knowledge, I think. Um, uh, yeah, I agree. With that. I love that. More than – so, I, I – my oldest daughter, stepdaughter, she's 15, and I struck up a deal with her recently that I told her basically – And this is now being recorded, so now it's it's oh, going it, to be for sure forever. cemented. Now. It is. So, <laughs> I said, if for the next three years you um, – Read the books I, you know, I give you. Uh, some will be investing. Some will be just uh, mental, uh, you know, ethics. You know, just whatever. And you do that. I will basically give you twenty five thousand dollars when you graduate high school to start an investment thing. I won't turn it over to you until you're probably like forty, but we will work together from eighteen to forty. Or, you know, it might be 38, you know, whatever. And uh, then I will turn all that money over to you. It's kind of, you know, I'll put in a trust or something. That's one thing I absolutely love about doing these interviews is because um, Owen and I make a, a point to make sure we ask these questions every time. Mm-hmm. And listening to people like you, I, I, I personally have evolved the way that I'm going to go out. I went from wanting to give a, a house to one of my kids or both my kids at when they turn 18. Then I went from... You know, listing, and then now I want to make them work in the house and earn it, and 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 give it, and then sell it to them and give them a deal, make them ha- show. You know, not. If, I feel like if I give it to them, they're not gonna. But you're making them work for it, correct? And, so, and I, I I just love this part of the show because because I've personally grown a lot in this area, 
and and have changed my way of thinking numerous times since then. So uh, continue. I'm sorry. No, I, and it's like I said, it's going to run the run the gamut. I given her actually got her wrist at poor dad for teens. That was last time. It wasn't tied to this. It's just a book I gave her. Uh, I've how did she receive it? She said it was all right. Uh, I've given her uh, backup years. My wife and I did Dave Ramsey's course and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I've given her the Dave Ramsey's baby steps. Like I, I told her, I said, I agree with Dave Ramsey up to whatever to step three or four or something like that. But he, then we kind of divulged from that. But if you talk to Kiyosaki, even t- talks about how him and Dave Ramsey are really close friends. Correct. And he's, and he's like, well, Dave Ramsey can't say everything he wants to say on this show. He goes, but he really, he's just, uh, you know, he's taking the people that have absolutely no idea how to handle money and just giving them the recipe for getting out of debt and maintaining out of debt. But really, he knows that you can work, you can work debt in your favor, mm-hmm. but he's never going to talk about that in a show. Well, yeah. yeah, he has target audience. I mean, that's, that's who's going to like eat his cooking as people that are in debt they don't know how to get out of it and he gives them a playbook on how to do that whereas he's like no debt no debt no debt whereas kiyosaki's more like take on business debt and have your assets pay for your liabilities right so there's a there's a difference but i i so i ordered a while back so i used to be in this uh mentoring program called teammates that uh tom osborne originally started my wife's mentee oh yeah uh mentor mentor yeah uh you're yeah I was like, really? Okay, I thought they, I thought they had, I thought they had to be in high school for that uh, or grade school. Anyway, um, so I had this kid that I was mentoring uh, for about three years. Followed him to three different schools, and uh, like I, I could tell he needed, he needed, he needed it. You know what I mean? Like he needed guidance and whatever. And we didn't talk a ton of, you know, shop. Whenever he had questions, I would answer them, but I didn't like push anything on him. But I gave him a couple of books along the way. And I got I or, I remember this I ordered uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad for Teens that you were talking about and I got it off of Amazon and I ordered I don't know like I think like five or six copies something like that and I get them in the mail and they're like this big they're like a deck of playing cards the yeah. the actual book is this big and I'm like what the hell is this? I can't even read it. I'm 47, you know, like I can't, I don't, I need my readers. I'm like, what is this? Why is this this big? It makes no sense at all. And I'm like, this is stupid. So then I had to like order the actual rich dad, poor dad, but I'm not kidding that. Like if you look it up on Amazon, the book is like a micro version. I'm like, what the hell were they thinking when they came out with this? Why? What is the, what is the rationale for why would you have a miniature book of something? Hers was a little bit bigger than that. Yeah. Anyway, that's my gripe about that whole uh, book portfolio. But uh, no, anyway, so that's cool, man. Like you're you're talking about uh, giving them the keys to the car, but not necessarily teaching all the way. You're not driving for them. Like Correct. you're going to give them kind of baby steps and and uh, entering the investment and like adult world of finance. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of missing, and we've talked about this a lot, but. There's so many missing pieces in the in the regular school education system when it comes to running your own financial life, making smart investment decisions, just being able to do personal finance on a general level. There's a disconnect. So filling the gap with books like that, Dave Ramsey, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it goes a long way, I think. And and uh, I, I haven't done this yet, but I've, I've really been – I just need to do it. I need to give them book report assignments mm-hmm. and offer them money. If they give me a good book report on it. So, so that's basically what I did. So I said, hey, you read these books, you write something, and some of them might be personal, so I'll just check it for completion. Like, yeah. Um, I'm not going to read them all. Uh, 
but like I, I want to try to help grow. I, I, I started with her, but I'm going to do it with my other kids as well and kind of try to make her grow mentally and spiritually and everything. And then at that moment of time, then we'll start investing together, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll just make sure, you know, I'll be there to keep the training wheels on and, uh, you know, when she gets to a certain age, I actually gave her a dollar amount that I would help her until X. And yeah. That, and then, so that's why I, I don't want to put a timeline on it, but it's more of a dollar amount that I've given her that I will help her till she reaches that. And then at the moment in time, she can go buy lottery tickets or whatever she wants with that. But hopefully by then it'll be, she'll have enough knowledge that uh, she can make her own decisions and make wise ones. About um, nine years ago, I had a, uh, I, I was working for a company called uh, Thrasher Basements. Mm-hmm. And a gentleman named Brian Black, and uh, he was a huge Ramsey fanatic, and he put that book in my hand. Um, I was just kind of going over my struggles with credit debt. I mean, I just had debt coming on my ears, and I was still making over 100 k a year. But I just, and my wife was making good money, but I was just making terrible financial decisions. And it took a long time, but I did uh, seven years of no vacations, Mm-hmm. Just kind of and, and just kind of you know getting down to the grindstone and got to a point where I even sold our house to pay off the last of our debt and moved into a rental for one year, um, and that was probably we did that final step probably about um, four or five years ago, and just had to get out of it. But you know, if you're listening to this and you are struggling with debt, I would highly recommend getting that book. Um, the F- Money Makeover by mm-hmm. Ramsey. Total Total Money Makeover total, by Dave Ramsey. Thank right. You. Yeah, I mean, you can judge what level you're at, but it will change your mindset on money. There's going to be some takeaways that you have. Um, You'll start listening to his radio show, and you'll start being able to answer the questions for yourself. And you're just going to change the way you think about things. And if you are trying to get to a point where you want to start investing, you need to get out of debt. You don't Mm -hmm. need completely out of debt, but you need to get out of debt. You need to get your life back on track, and you need to understand – how money works and how you can control money and not let money control you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's changing your relationship with money in general yeah. and, and how you manage it um, goes a long way. And I, we've all, I mean, sounds like we've all had those similar struggles. I know I did when I was in my twenties for sure, even into my early thirties. Um, but uh, Ryan, do you have anything? Uh, we have a section here. We lovingly call failing Where we <laughs> wow talk about a situation or event or a deal that maybe didn't go according to plan. You touched on the Airbnb the first night stay. And do you have anything that hasn't gone all that great uh, since then that maybe you'd like to talk about? So I think for me, the biggest thing, like I said, I have only been doing this since February. So it was that six months or so. Uh, the biggest thing is thinking that I'm a property manager, <laughs> to be honest with you. Like, Everything. What do you mean thinking you're a property manager? Like property managers have systems. They have ways of dealing with things. Uh, I kind of just did it as a, I'm going to learn from this. And there's a lot that goes into it. And I would say as an investor, uh, the one thing that I've learned the most is that the money that, you know, if you got to pay 10% or whatever to property manager, it's probably money well spent. Um, and so that's kind of my next thing that I need to, I always said I wanted to get to 20 units and then I would hire a property manager. 
but I think it might have to come sooner than that. Uh, it's just my job is inside secure areas. Uh, I don't always have my phone on me, so I get a phone call. Hey, I got this leaky faucet, like or you know, toilets overflowing and flooding the whole house. Like I can't, I can't do that. And so that's kind of been my, I think as an investor as a whole, been my biggest failure is thinking that I could do that. And it's probably been the most stressful part of, um, of everything. Cause like Ted said earlier, like I got a text the other day, like, can you tell the neighbor to quit throwing the ball around the house or I don't remember what it was, but like, no, that's, I, so that's I, why I like Airbnbs. <laughs> I'm, I'm not your babysitter. Like I had, you know, guy in Airbnb, uh, he, uh, so the whole whole place smelled like marijuana, you know, like everybody's just smoking or, you know, like, and it's kind of. Like, my, my first tenant I had in my, my first Airbnb, he must have been storing his weed in the, in the icebox of my brand new refrigerator. First time it's used. So for the next month, the refrigerator just reeked of weed and everybody's like, it smells like weed. And I'm like, I can't control that. I mean, yeah. like, <laughs> it, it's hard. How else are you supposed to make edibles in the ice cubes? <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah. I Is mean, that how Ted? you make them nowadays? <laughs> oh, kind oh. of a hard ass. Hey, Dennis, can you put in the show notes how Owen makes it? <laughs> I think he's got a YouTube video out there. Put, put the recipe in there. Yeah. <laughs> little THC uh, ice cubes. Nice. Um, so, Ryan... What uh what's next for you? I know you mentioned you want to scale up to uh, thirty units by the end of the year. We're going to hold you to that. And what else? What what's next? Are you going to stick in the multifamily realm? Uh, do you have any aspirations to branch out into other asset classes, types of investments? Um, you mentioned hiring a property manager. Yeah. So what's on the horizon? So I would like to, like I said, get to twenty plus thirty units, and from there I. I would like to eventually get to stuff more passive. So if I can get a, you know, a storage unit or something like that. Yeah, some, something that I don't have to do anything for. Uh, apartment complex in Branson. Apartment complex in Branson. Some, something, you know, more maybe triple net uh, stuff, you know, um, invest, you know, as a passive investor in something like that. It's kind of kind of my thing. I don't. You just don't want to put more on your plate. Yeah, so like I said, I before we were, we were talking, like I've listened to most of the podcasts and I listened to episode fifty and they're you know talking with Chris Pomelo. With Chris Pomelo and y'all said like ten thousand units. I don't remember what it was, but like <laughs> I, I, I sat there and I like I pondered that for like a week after I listened to it and like I don't think that's like in my stories. I don't think it's what I want per se. Like could I get to three thousand units? I think so, but also in there, he said, you know, their their goal goals change as you hit them too. So I guess I don't want to say I, I don't want to do that. But right now, I could definitely say 1,500 units and maybe not you know, all it, in Omaha. But, but if you've got systems to do 1,500, then you do 10,000. Correct. But I, because I, I tell you what, I have that same mentality. I'm like, I don't want to be the guys that have hundreds of units. Because I, I don't want to put, get all those – I don't want to have all those systems. I don't want to run all that stuff. I you know I just want to have some passive income, be able to enjoy my life. you know. But once you – I mean, there's a threshold that you're going to hit. And I think – like, Owen, you're there right now. And you got like almost 200 units probably. And, I mean, there's a threshold that where it's like, you know, it's like, okay, this is manageable by me. And then now I'm taking this to a whole nother level, which you're kind of doing with this Branson deal. 
Yeah, and it's uh I was reading I don't know what I was reading. I saw this. It was it was like a cartoon, but there were three panels to the cartoon and it was the first one there was like a a kid chasing a whole bunch of dollar bills blowing in the wind, right? And he's chasing after him trying to grab him like this, right? Mm-hmm. And then the second panel is he's, you know, probably middle age or 30, 30 something or whatever. And he's doing the same thing, chasing after, chasing after it. And the last panel is there's an old man holding all the money and he's standing on the edge of a cliff. He's not chasing anything. He has it, but it's the end. Mm -hmm. And that really, honestly, that hit me in that we all, I think, fall victim to that if we are doing it for the sake of doing it and more and more and more and more, and you're never satisfied. But there's a fine line between saying this is enough and enjoying the process, not, you know, not keep chasing and and to try and end up with something. There's a fine line between that, between fulfilling your potential, what you could do, and then also enjoying the ride along the way and not making it so ridiculous that all that's, that's what you're only about is uh, chasing it for the sake of chasing it. And does I, that make sense? It does. And I think that kind of goes back to my why and what I want. Like you, you mentioned talents, like my wife and I had this conversation, I think this week, but like she asked me, why do I want, like, this isn't what she wants. This is what I want. And I told her, I, the in the Bible, the parable of the talents, and like God gives you so much talent, and I feel like this is something that God has given me that I can do. Like it's, it's not hard. I don't want to say it's not hard, but it's not. It's not something that's impossible for me to do. Like I'm not stepping out and you know conquering world hunger, which I, you know I don't think that's part of my talent. So, um, I think it's being able to do what you can do. And, but I don't want to burn myself out in the, in the same, like I'm doing this for my family to be able to go to Europe and backpack through there and, you know, to be able to do stuff like, yeah, we'll still have to teach, you know, the kids while they're there and we'll still have to, uh, I'll still have to work, you know, somewhat, but I'll be able to do it. You know, I want to be able to build something that I can still do it remotely, still manage things, uh, from afar, still have people boots on the ground that can go look at a property for me or whatever it might be, but. I don't think I want to build something so huge that I can't enjoy day to day. I'm not saying that if you have a hundred thousand units that you can't enjoy, but that's not what I want, I guess. I, I had this uh, guy that I mentored under, I was, so I was his mentee, Ted, just like Jessica is. <laughs> and uh, we were, I worked for Northwestern mutual. So I did, you know, insurance sales and, and uh, I had my series six and 63. So we did mutual funds and all that. And his name's Paul Ladaka, and uh, he's still in the business, and he kills it. I mean, he's a super, super motivated guy, really spiritual dude, you know, Christian guy. And uh, we we talked a lot, and he had this thing where he would always describe it's uh, your life is the um, your life is basically like a footstool, except you know it it's got a balance point between. And I'm going to butcher this a little bit, but it's like your your work. Uh, pursuits, your, your personal relationships, your spirituality and your family life. There's four legs to the stool. And if one of those legs gets too short, none of the rest matters because it's going to fall over. Right. And so I think the difficulty with really highly motivated people is you feel like fulfilling your potential generally is, is easiest through investing your time into work 
because you get to be really good at it when you mm-hmm. get to be, you know, let's say in your forties or whatever, you're like, you figure things out and you get really successful at business. And maybe you start another business and another business. And then you're like, man, that guy's killing it. He's really successful or that gal or whatever. Right. But you have to keep your eye on the ball on those other legs of the stool and I don't think that's a very commonly measured metric when it comes to fulfilling your potential. That's a hard thing to wrap your mind around and really pay attention to. So I think if, the, if you gave equal weighting to all those things, your scorecard would look much, much different Correct. than if you're only judging it from your success in your business or work. Does that so make sense? It does. And so hitting on a couple things. The first book I gave my daughter to read was a book called Life and Air. I got it from Brandon Turner. Yeah. He talks about it all the time. So, Oh, I you guys are buddies? No, no. Just from the podcast. That's cool. <laughs> Ted, he put Ted in a headlock. <laughs> a good so, so he talked about it, and so I downloaded the the book. And it, it that's kind of the purpose of it is like this guy's making, you know, he's got a construction company or whatever, making half a million dollars a year or whatever he's making. And he's broke, he's not happy, his family's falling apart, and then he kind of learns along the way that life's more than, you know, they downsize and they he takes less time at work and his company does, isn't as successful, but he has more money because because he's spending wiser. He's, um, you know, just things are more in focus. You know, he's yeah. he's more balanced. The school's yeah. more balanced, so... Yeah, I I don't know. We got really deep there. But uh, speaking of getting deep. We're almost out of time. Let's get into the OT with Owen and Ted. We have a we have a section uh, where we like to ask the same questions of every guest. However, Ted did a little change up uh, about a week ago here with some new questions, and I don't remember what they are. And you so don't know what they are because yeah. you haven't listened to yeah. this episode. You, you yeah. don't know, and even I don't know. So <laughs> the mystery know. questions. We want to hear what say you. So the first question is, you ready? I'm ready. All right. What is your first book going to be called that you author? So I would, it would be something to do with, I think, personal finance. I We talked earlier about Dave Ramsey and how I, I took his uh, course. And I don't think that a lot of people know much about personal finance. I it was never taught to me. I know Nebraska just passed a law um, that to graduate high school, you have to have some kind of personal finance. I don't know what it's going to well, I didn't know that. I didn't either. Yeah. So my daughter's taking it right now as a sophomore. Uh, so it's, I think it's only half a semester, but it's something that at least they're starting the conversation. Um, but I, I think a lot of people don't understand personal finance and not that I'm an expert either, but uh, I think it would be something along those lines just to try to give back to people and not necessarily about investing, but it would have investing in it. Not, it, w- it would just be a holistic book, I guess. Got it. Okay. So prepping a high schooler or someone in, in their early correct education years early, yep. on personal finance and investing and giving them kind of a, of a, a starting point. Say like 14 to 24. Yeah. I area. like it. So, but you know, you just said that you're not an expert in personal finance, but you may be able to explain it in a different way to, let's say, Owen, that somebody will be able to grasp. So don't don't downplay your knowledge and your ability to convey that that information to someone because you actually might be able to read someone else other than some, you know? So Ooh, that's good. Good yep. job. Okay, Ryan. 
The second question is, and I might know the answer to this, but when little Ryan Miller was just a little wee wee boy, <laughs> what did Ryan Miller want to be when he grew up? Uh, so I grew up playing, you know, with fake guns around the neighborhood and shoot them up, bang, bang, want to be in the military, uh, like we talked earlier. My, I, fig- I figured the generations of yeah. military in your family that that yeah, was the answer. So I had generations of military. I had uh, my dad was in the Navy. My uncle was in the Navy. My great uncle and had their Navy hats and playing around with that. And uh, so I think it was always kind of there from. But uh, also wanted to be a, a architect for some reason, but I don't know where that we accomplished one of your kids' goals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question number three. How will you leave your legacy on the world? What is your tombstone going to say, Ryan? So I think I want to leave my legacy through. I think a lot of people think of their legacy as their kids. Mm -hmm. And I want to think of it more as my grandkids and their grandkids. I watched something on the Vanderbilts uh, not too long ago and how they were the richest people in in the United States. And then right now they're. Basically, you know, they, they don't have a legacy. You know, they have Vanderbilt School, but their their money's gone. Their their name's kind of outside of the school is kind of gone. And um, not that I want to build that type of legacy to that, you know, everybody knows who I am, but just that it's something that can continue for generations, not, not just the people that do me. So – yeah, it makes sense. It's hard when you're uh, when you're really trying to make it and build something and and when you look at really the big picture, man, life is short. Mm-hmm. And it you you know, you work so hard along the way to be the, a good person and leave generational wealth, do right by your family, do right by your friends, your personal relationships, and then you're gone. And yeah, leaving a mark in this world is a lot more than just how much money you made. Correct. How successful and wealthy you were in your in your business, but yeah, the overall big picture, and uh, yeah, I like I like that you said that. So, okay, the last question is obviously you did a lot to get to the point where you're at now. Uh, is is there people that you'd want to give a shout out to uh, in your life that have helped bring you up and get you to where you are? Well, so growing up, I'm, I mean, obviously my mom, dad, uh, my grandma, I mean. Basically, I mean, not basically. She lived in our backyard in a trailer. So, I mean, I seen her every single day. So, she was a big part of growing up. Um, as far as investing, uh, I would say the local meetups, you know, you guys, uh, ADPI. It's uh, for shout outs. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. 54 episodes in. <laughs> <laughs> no, but just the, the community. I, I find that everybody, you know, all the all the meetups around here, everybody's pretty um, open open to helping people. Um, like I said, I mastermind that uh, actively passive passive income ADPI. Uh, their their knowledge, their education, their willingness to help um, in different facets. So uh, I would say, you know, mentorship. My wife, uh, she doesn't always like real estate but she's coming along in the support you know like i mean we we have our tips about it and uh, i think she knows that's something that i i want and she supports my hairbrain idea so <laughs> that's important yeah yeah 
Well, Ryan, I think the content was absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for this moment. Um, I've been completely blown away with what you have done in such a little bit of time. I, I, I mean, I, I look up to you for what you, you're doing in, in 12 to 15 months. And the fact that you started it between Colin and I, I's meetup, I, uh, I, I, I love hearing that because because um, you always kind of wonder if, if you're actually doing this some impact. Like I, I know we have a big group, but. It, I don't hear those stories, you know, Hey, I came to the meetups and, you know, I, I started meeting people and putting my, putting everything together from that. So, um, thank you, uh, for that. I, I, well, thank I, you. I appreciate it. And, um, if you guys want to hear uh, more about Ryan and learn about Ryan and you're, if you're in the Midwest, he generally comes to our meetups usually on uh, the first Tuesdays. It's a local Omaha meetup. Um, if you want to fly in, we do have people fly in. I can get you a room. Uh, not not paying for it, though, but I'll get you guys a room. <laughs> it's a discount, right? You do get a discount if you join as a member. Yeah, that's right, true. There we go, sir. So there we go. But uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for coming out. I hope you enjoyed your old-fashioned today. I did. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Owen, I'll have to make the next one. Uh, he actually makes a pretty uh, pretty awesome old-fashioned. I make a pretty mean one. Yeah, I do. We have to stock up on whiskey, too. So. Yeah, we, we, yeah, Owen has to bring some whiskey. I'm, my whiskey budget's been out of control. Whoever's the next guest, uh, we'd love a, another bottle here. <laughs> <laughs> we love to read reviews that you guys are giving us out there. And uh, we've had a couple lately. Um, one says, I can't get enough. Uh, Dan... Deanne Apar is the name that's on here, but Ted Owen Denless are so much fun to listen to. There's constantly flow of golden nuggets, of course, and actionable information. Uh, no matter where you are in your real estate journey, you'll find value in every episode. Oh, 54 yeah. episodes later. If you're listening to us for the first time or 54th time, please give us a review. Uh, we love to read those online. We love the feedback. Um, if it's not a five-star review, reach out to us on uh, online and, and uh, g- give me some feedback so we can fix it and uh, make it better. Uh, you can find our Instagram at Rhea Radio on Instagram. We're posting more reels. We always post pictures from our events so you can see the crazy photos that we do and have fun here. Um, I, I do tag all the guys in the, and gals in the photos too, unless they're not on social media, which seems to happen more and more lately. Uh, we have a Snapchat called Rhea Radio out there, uh, which we post content on there. What? And uh, <laughs> somebody else can start one of those uh, TikToks. I don't. I'm not going to do no TikToks, but <laughs> uh, you can find Owen at O Dog Twenty Four. Yeah, 2-4. 2-4. Um, 2-4-2-4. Cash Money, K-A-A-S-C-H, Money on Instagram. Dennis? At Dennis Boutron, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very normal. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, Owen Dasher, we see us out of here. On behalf of Dennis Bertrand, Ted Kosh, and Rio Radio, I'm Owen Dashner. You've been listening to Ryan, the acronym lover, Miller. <laughs> Signing off. <laughs>